Good morning, One Tribe. This is Alan Frau here, speaking to you from Los Angeles in California in the USA. And it's just a privilege to be speaking to you today uh, on multiplication. I know that you're doing a, a series uh, on your DNA as a church, and I've been asked by Mbonisi to preach to you on, on multiplication as a value. And I want to talk out of John chapter 6, particularly uh, about five dynamics of lasting multiplication. It's a very well-worn passage. It's the uh, feeding of the 5,000 in John 6. So uh, won't you go there in your, in your Bibles? And I just want to begin by saying that uh, multiplication, uh, whether it's churches or whether it's disciples or whether it's leaders, um, it is a deeply biblical concept. And, and yet in our culture, even around the world, churches tend to be more about addition than multiplication. Uh, and so you very often hear uh, churches and church leaders saying, well, we can't multiply until we've grown bigger. Um, but actually, if we look at the dynamics of a family and uh, a human body, multiplication doesn't require that you're big. It just requires that you are healthy. And I want to encourage you, uh, a growing church, but not a church that's been around for very many years, you don't have to wait until you get big or you get old before you multiply. It's health that actually God wants. And uh, he is a multiplying God, as we will see in the scripture. Uh, in 26 years of pastoral ministry, my wife, Renelle, and I uh, have only ever been in uh, multiplying churches. In fact, the first time we came to Los Angeles was to be part of a church planning conference. And uh, we arrived at the church we are now in, Southlands Church. We've been here for 14 years. And uh, we were at that time part of a church that was multiplying, and uh, we wanted to learn more about that. And it was a church plant. It wasn't a very old church, and yet we were sending people to plant in Malawi uh, and in, in Scotland um, and up the coast in South Africa. And uh, we came to learn from this church, Southlands, because uh, Southlands, before we arrived here, multiplied 12 times in 14 years. This is a fairly medium-sized church. And we just heard about this church that was raising up leaders and uh, making disciples and sending them out. And one of the things that I remember that they taught was that you don't multiply out of expansionism. Uh, you multiply because of a belief that this is the best way to make disciples. Multiplying churches is one of the best ways that we can make uh, disciples. And so when we arrived here in 2007, having uh, led churches in South Africa for, for a while, uh, we arrived at a church that had a strong multiplying DNA. And uh, we've now been here for 14 years and has seen it plant again five or six times. And uh, so we, we're not new to this. We're not naive to it, but we absolutely believe that God is in this. And there are some wonderful dynamics that are going to require real perseverance. And there are going to be times when you just want to go back to addition, but uh, trust that the Lord encourages you to put your faith in Him as the great uh, multiplier. I remember Terry Virgo spending some time with us. You would know him, most of you, and uh, he's a British leader who's just seen hundreds, if not thousands, of churches 
multiplied. And he sat with American leaders here and said, you know, uh, you Americans, you know how to innovate. You're so creative and and innovative, and it's amazing. He said, but we Brits, we know how to persevere. And he quoted uh, Winston Churchill, you know, never give up, never give up. And I think that that's probably the same for Africans. And I speak as a, f- a fellow African, that there's a, there's a perseverance, there's a, there's a resilience uh, in us. But even that, we will run out of our own perseverance and resilience. And we need to go back to the God of multiplication for encouragement and, and strength. And, and we need to be absolutely convinced that it is in his word. And so I want to read to you from John chapter 6 about this incredible multiplying miracle. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast uh, of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread? so that these people may eat. And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in that place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now, this is the word of the Lord. One of the ways that we have sustained lasting multiplication is by reading this piece of God's word and understanding dynamics of multiplication. I remember first hearing this in Sunday school back in South Africa, and uh, I still remember the flannel board pictures of people and loaves and fish. I can still smell uh, the the Play-Doh that we used to play with, and I can still remember my Sunday school teacher asking the question, what would you do if Jesus asked you for your lunch? And we know that Jesus performs this multiplying miracle 
out of this boy's five loaves and, and two fishes. And there are incredible insights into the dynamics of multiplying in this miracle. But we must remember before we talk about mul multiplication that this miracle is a sign. Uh, it's not ultimately talking about multiplying churches uh, or multiplying life groups or disciples. It's actually talking about Jesus, the bread of life, who is able to multiply life. It was a sign uh, ultimately pointing to Jesus' Last Supper, where he would break bread and say, this is my body broken for you, uh, for the forgiveness of sins, for the healing of your souls. It was really a sign pointing to the cross uh, that Jesus' own body would be broken and multiplied for the blessing of the multitudes. And so this was not just a miracle. It was uh, a sign. It's so, so important. And it points to the sacred sacred communion that we we take hopefully each week it was a sign pointing to the cross where his wounds would heal our wounds and make us whole but but the the miracle has come to me uh an incredible insight not laws but insight into the dynamics of multiplication and i want to talk to you about five of those dynamics the first is that the life in multiplication is in the message, not in the model. Verse 34, and I haven't read that to you yet, but after verse 21, Jesus unpacks the meaning of this sign. And he says, man, you ate this bread to fill your stomachs, but I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will be hungry again. In other words, Jesus here multiplies physical loaves, but he is the bread of life who is come to fill our, our souls. And so multiplication is in the message of the gospel that he, in fact, is the bread of life. Make no mistake that Jesus had uh, a, a strategy for multiplication. Uh, it's fascinating that he made them sit on the grass, it said. So he didn't want them to be uncomfortable. That he made them sit in small groups, 50s and 100s, it says in Mark 6, verse 40. But, but the bread was not multiplied because of Jesus' clever multiplication strategy. We know he had baskets to gather up the fragments after this miracle, but the miracle didn't take place because people sat on the grass or sat in groups of hundreds and fifties or was gathered up in baskets. The, the life was in the bread and not in the basket. Uh, the miracle was in Jesus as a multiplier. It was Jesus' own power that multiplied the bread. And I think it's it's so important that in multiplication that we don't put the cart before the horse. All of us need to find a good model for multiplying, uh, whether it's leaders or disciples or life groups or, or churches. Are they going to be in groups of 10? Uh, are they going to do sermon-based life groups? Or are they just going to be interest-based life groups? There's models of multiplication, but we should never put our hope ultimately in the model um, the life is actually in Jesus himself, the bread of life. 
And one of the mistakes that we've made in the past is that we have kind of been experts at a model of multiplication rather than uh, experts at the message of the gospel, which is where the true life is. And I want to encourage you as a church, as you trust God for multiplication, that ultimately your faith is in the life of the message of Christ, the bread of life. I remember uh, a man called Michael Eaton, who many of you would would know because he lived and ministered and died in in Kenya. And uh, he he spent quite a long time ministering here. He was so helpful to us. And I remember one time he sat with us as a group of leaders and, and he said, you know, you guys seem to be experts at the model of multiplication, but novices at the message of Christ. And it was like a blow to the solar plexus. We had become such experts at the basket, but actually we'd forgotten the power was in the bread. The bread of life has life everlasting. So let's make sure that while we have models, some of us might have uh, a multi-site model, others kind of a pre-launch strategy or a missional community model, or you might be doing a, a leadership training or good kind of financial structure and worship style and a form of liturgy, but none of these are magic. None of these are going to cause the bread to multiply. It's Jesus himself that is the life. It's the message of the gospel. It's the first insight into multiplication. Secondly, uh, we see here that there is no multiplication without subtraction. So important that we understand that verse 11 says this, that Jesus took the loaves and fish, gave thanks for them, broke them, and distributed them to the crowd. That sounds beautiful. We love the blessing and the breaking. But actually, before there was blessing and breaking, there was taking. And I wonder what was going through this little boy's mind. I've got some questions. I think you should have two. Uh, first, did he willingly give the bread and the fish, or was it taken from him. We know that Andrew found the boy, and we doubt that Andrew was a playground bully, but perhaps there was a little bit of bread and fish tug of war. Perhaps he gave it up reluctantly. And I also want to ask, why a boy? Why couldn't they have taken bread and fish from an adult who had a job and could replenish what was given? I mean, this was given by his mom or his dad, and he had no power to replenish it. And it seems unfair that the bread and fish was taken from a boy. It seems overly demanding and unfair. And that's the rub for me in this passage. For some reason, Jesus seemed to be okay to leave a boy without lunch for the sake of his multiplying miracle. That's the rub for me. And it perhaps felt like an eternity to this boy before he got his lunch restored, before he got some of the fragments after the miracle. And that really speaks to us about the dynamic of subtraction, that we love the idea of Jesus blessing and breaking, but do we love the idea of Jesus taking? I don't know about you, but I love resource margins in my life. I love the resource margins of energy and time. I love the resource energy, uh, margins of finances. I love the resource margins as a church leader of many leaders and just 
many servants. And yet this multiplication vision always puts pressure on our margins. Uh, to multiply actually is an invitation to Jesus to come and invade our margins and leave us for a moment, sometimes that seems like a lifetime, without nothing, with empty hands. And many people, many churches, many leaders give up a multiplying vision and lean back into an addition vision because they hate the idea of having their margins invaded. But there is no multiplication without subtraction. And we have to realize that we will feel at times like this little boy. But the heart of multiplication is that we just say, Jesus, whatever we have, it's from you. And so we are putting our bread in your hands. We're not giving it reluctantly. We're willingly giving it to you because it's from you anyway, whether it's leaders, whether it's finances, uh, whether it's worship uh, team people, or whether it's kids ministry, workers, uh, whatever it is, we, we're putting these resources into your hands. We're allowing you to invade our margins because they're from you anyway. And we are asking that as you take them, that you bless them, you break them, and you multiply them. And it's a stunning thing, actually, <laughs> to be a part of Jesus' multiplying miracle. When you have those moments of, oh my gosh, I've given something that's precious to me, but then you see Jesus actually multiplying it. You know, in the middle of COVID, this time last year, when most church leaders were just feeling very unsure and all of our margins were gone, it seemed, uh, we felt God call us to plant a church in a city about 20 minutes away. And uh, it was like we were putting our bread in Jesus' hands. We just sent 20 people. But I remember on the day that we sent them, it wasn't how many we sent, it was who. These were dear, dear friends. These were very gifted people. These were some generous people. And there we waved goodbye to them and sent them off. And it was painful. Some of our closest friends went. So now we don't get to, you know, have Sunday lunch with them after church but because they were in another city. But a year later, the Lord has multiplied what we put in his hands. Uh, they baptized 12 uh, new believers in the first year. Uh, they have probably quadrupled in size and perhaps a little bit more. God has provided for them financially amazingly. They're working with the poor in that city in powerful ways. Uh, people who were backslidden have come back to Christ. Leaders are being raised up. It's a powerful thing to be able to be part of God's multiplying uh, mission and miracle. But actually, first, we have to put our bread in his hands. There is no multiplication without subtraction. Third dynamic is this, that God is able to restore our resources abundantly and change them liberally. Uh, verse 12 says this, after the multiplying miracle, they gathered up 12 baskets full of fragments of barley loaves. That word fragments is repeated a couple of times in this passage. I love that word fragments. Uh, the beauty of this miracle is that not only was Jesus able to feed 5,000 
which with men, women, and children, the commentators say it would have been about 20,000 people. Not only was he able to multiply and feed, but there was left over. There was an abundance of fragments left over. But we mustn't forget this word fragments because it does talk about Jesus' abundance, his ability to replenish our resources, his ability to uh, provide for the multitudes. But actually, we need to realize that the way he replenished, he didn't replenish in the shape and form in which we gave. It was in fragments. He restores the bread in fragments, crumbs. And so there is no multiplication without subtraction. There is also no multiplication without division. He took it, he broke it, he restored it abundantly, but in 12 baskets full of fragments. And this applies both abundance and change. And I think that's where people perhaps struggle. They're saying, oh God, won't you restore what we've given? We've sent these people out. We've given this money. Uh, we've sent these leaders out. We've sent these ministry people out, but won't you restore exactly what we've given? And actually the dynamic of multiplication is that Jesus does restore, but he never does it in exactly the same shape in which we, we gave it. So when we surrender our resources to Jesus to be broken and multiplied, we can sure be sure that he will restore them. But we're also surrendering the forms in which he does restore them. I've found in 26 years of multiplying that Jesus never exactly replaced the friends we sent out. Uh, it's not like we sowed that ministry and got that exact thing back. Uh, it's not like we sowed that amount of money and got the exact amount back. Sometimes it's less, sometimes it's more. It's almost always in a different shape. Uh, give your best worship leaders and receive five young raw talents in return. So hundreds of thousands of dollars and get a building in return worth 10 times that. Fragments, fragments. I remember the... Uh, the night before we sent out a team to plant in Thailand, in Chiang Rai, some of our closest friends, Dan and Marsha Yu, uh, were, were leading the team. And their son, Isaiah, was our youngest son's best friend. And they had a sleepover before we sent them off. And I remember sitting next to the sleeper couch as the two 10-year-olds fell asleep, just going, God, this is so expensive. This is not just our friends. This is my son's friend. This is the young friend who made a disciple of my son and encouraged him towards baptism. And now he's sowing his friend friendship. And I will say that five years later, we still have a deep, deep friendship with the youths. We probably see them about once a year. And in some ways, it's a deeper friendship, but it's changed. It's, it's come back in abundance, but in a different form. And part of being part of a multiplying journey is just saying, oh, Lord, as we sow, we're trusting that you can replenish, but we're holding that lightly, fragments. And that's the takeaway, that the degree to which we allow Jesus to change the shape of our church is the degree to which we will ongoingly multiply. It may be that 
the next couple to lead a plant is your favorite life group leader or the next worship leader is your favorite worship leader uh, or just some of your closest friends. But I just want to encourage you to keep on putting your bread in Jesus' hands. He's able to replenish, but he wants to bring us into a life where we're not saying, Lord, not these people, not these people, where we actually give and trust that he restores in fragments. Fourth dynamic is this, that there is a fight to recover momentum after multiplication. It says in verse 18, darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. A high wind arose and the sea began to churn. I, I find it fascinating that both John's gospel and Mark's gospel talks about the storm that came up after the multiplying miracle. And it seemed like Jesus was far off. And this storm causes the disciples to, to fear. And Jesus is praying up on a hillside and he takes time to come to them. And it says the sea was dark. And I would say the joy of multiplication, the joy of seeing people come to Christ and seeing churches grow and seeing leaders grow. I want to say this, that part of the side benefit of planting churches is we've seen leaders grow so quickly. People who were doing fine, but kind of warming the bench, suddenly find themselves on the front line growing because they are in a place where they're so vitally needed. And that's a powerful thing. But it's not just about sending people. It's actually about the sense of storm and the loss of momentum after people go. Mark 6.45, talking about the same passage, it says, Jesus saw them making headway painfully because the wind was against them. There can this be this storm after the joy of multiplication that makes headway painful. I've got used to the feelings I don't panic when it happens. But if you send 50 or 80 people away, or even if you send 20, you miss those people in worship. You miss their voices. You miss their faith. You miss their warmth. Uh, you are, are often, whether they're leaders or not, you, you, you're sending your best prayers and your best singers and your best givers and your best lovers. And so there seems to be kind of a doldrums that makes headway painful. But Jesus' words to the disciples are Jesus' same words to us as we multiply. Take heart. Take heart. It can seem like we are making headway painfully, but Jesus sees us and he is with us in the storm of a loss of momentum. So how do we fight for momentum in a post-multiplying storm? Firstly, I would uh, encourage you to have permission to lament, to have permission to say, man, I really miss those people, uh, to not cover that up. Uh, we see in Acts 20, as uh, the elders in the Ephesians church were sending off Paul to Jerusalem, they were multiplying a leader. He'd planted that church with them in Ephesus, and it says they knelt on the beach, they kissed Paul, and they wept because they would never see him again. And part of Lasting multiplication is giving yourself permission to lament, but trusting Jesus that it's worth it. The second you know, way of making sure that you get through the doldrums of the post 
multiplying dynamic is that you rejoice. You ask the people that you've sent to keep on sending you good news of people getting saved and people getting restored and, and healed. Uh, Proverbs said, uh, like a cup of water in a dry place is good news from a foreign land. And so ask people to send you back cups of water from the foreign land that, that refresh people and remind them that it is worth it. Pray and report back answered prayers. We found that a wonderful way to pick up church morale after multiplication. It is Jesus' job to multiply and restore, but it is our job as a people and as leaders to take heart and to help people to take heart. I will land with this fifth dynamic of multiplication, and it's actually in the Mark version of the same account. It's Mark 8, 5. And it says this, And Jesus said to his disciples, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. The final dynamic is that disciples can actually catch a culture of multiplication. And I love the fact that very soon after the, 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 the multiplying of the loaves and the fishes to feed 5,000, there's another multiplying moment. In the first, the disciples were reluctant. Uh, they didn't have any bread and fish of their own. They had to go looking and find it from a boy. But actually in the second, the feeding of the 4,000, 4, they actually had some. We have seven loaves. And it's like the boys had begun to catch on. They'd begun to say, man, we saw what Jesus did with that little boy's five loaves and two fishes. So we've come armed with our seven. We want to be part of the next multiplying miracle. We know it's going to be painful. We know that our margins are going to be invaded. We know that if it gets restored, it's going to be restored in fragments. We even know that there could be a storm, a loss of momentum afterwards. We can feel like it goes dark, but this is worth it because Jesus' bread is going to feed these many people. The bread of life is going to feed the multitudes. We want to be part of it. Disciples can catch a culture of multiplication. Peter Senge, the business strategist, said this, that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I want to encourage you as you see Jesus taking your loaves and your fish, taking your resources as you give them willingly, I want to encourage you to catch that culture of multiplication, that it's actually your first instinct to want to be part. And sometimes that's not sending. Sometimes that's you going yourself. Some of you are sitting there and the Lord is encouraging you to leave a life group or a Bible study where you are comfortably receiving, but the Lord is saying, you've received enough. Now you need to go. You need to be willing to put your resources in Jesus' hands. Perhaps you are planning to plant a church again, and, and the Lord is saying, actually, you need to be part of the planting core. Perhaps you've got some savings and the Lord is saying, invest those in the next plant, catch the culture of multiplication and be part of Jesus' multiplying miracle. Very practically, one of the ways that our culture began to catch on was there was a moment where our elders made a, a decision that actually our own tithes that we gave to the church, we felt we would not use them for the running of the church from day to day. We would actually use our tithes 
for a church planting war chest. And that's really when we began to catch the culture of church planting. We were putting our money where our mouth was. And then there was another step in catching the culture of multiplication where we would go up on a hill. This began about 11 years ago. We call it Summit Hill. And this hill looks out over the whole Southland, the Southern California Basin. You can see all the way to the ocean, one way, all the way to downtown uh, LA, up to the mountains. And we would go about every month. We still go. We're going there this Saturday. And we would look and we would just say, oh, Lord, won't you cause many, many multitudes to be satisfied by you, the bread of life? Lord, won't you send us in this multi and include us in this multiplying miracle? And as we would pray, our hearts were enlarged to not just have a church that grew bigger in addition, but a church that served the gospel in multiplication. I know there will be times when you feel tempted just to batten down the hatches and say, enough, Lord. Enough of invading our margins. But I want to encourage you in light of the fact that Jesus Christ gave himself, as it were, into the hands of the Father to be broken, the bread of life broken for the filling and the saving of the multitudes, that you in turn would give yourself back to him, knowing that he loves you and knowing that he wants to use you. He doesn't have to use us, but he chooses to, and that you would be caught up in this multiplying miracle, that the Lord would give you uh, wisdom in terms of how to sustain it and last through it, and uh, that Nairobi and Kenya uh, would be greatly blessed and greatly saved and filled because you've put your, hand, your bread in Jesus' hands. God bless you. Amen.